0: Welcome to the Need to Know podcast from the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. I'm your host, Aaron Jones, bringing you the best nonpartisan information that you need to know. Welcome back to the Need to Know podcast. And today I have a guest who has not joined us yet on the podcast. We have Marissa Kerma of our Middle East program at the Wilson Center. Uh, Marissa, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to talk about Lebanon today.
1: Thank you so much for having
0: me. And Lebanon, I, uh, we were we were just talking kind of in our, our pre-show notes here. It's not a country that we've really ever discussed it doesn't come up as much in foreign policy discussions so tell us a little bit of background on the i guess what the what the makeup is of of lebanon and their government and and a little bit of how we've gotten to this point here uh where things start seem to be falling apart uh but certainly that didn't just happen overnight or with a single accident that occurred at their port
1: yeah that's that's absolutely true um aaron uh, certainly did not happen overnight um, Lebanon is a very interesting case study for anyone who um, is studying the Middle East um, it's a very diverse country um, with both Muslim and Christian um, populations um, Druze communities and um, and the and in the Muslim community there are both Sunni and Shia um, communities so it's a very rich diverse country um religiously as well as ethnically. Uh, there are also other ethnic minorities other than um the the sort of majority Arab population that lives there. Um and um you know I guess we I'd like to always say that that diversity is a plus. Uh, it has proven to be a bit more challenging for a country like Lebanon. Um, it has witnessed a fifteen years um civil war. Um, as well as multiple occupations, both by the Israelis and, and uh, Syrians, um, and uh, um, over the course of the last, you know, two to three decades, we've seen, um, or particularly after the end of the civil war, we've seen um, the political system that that came about um, after the the Taif agreements sort of ended the civil war um, has led us to where we are today um, given the um, sectarian political system that was sort of put in place um, and institutionalized.
0: So that, is, if I can pause you right there, because what does that mean? Are there political parties based on religious affiliations?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, there are political parties based on religious affiliations. Um, it's, 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 it doesn't necessarily mean that they they're always um in in opposition in opposition to each other because alliances have shifted over the course of the last few decades um but uh but yes that's exactly correct so um so a, a party like um the, the Amal uh, uh party, political party is is basically Shia led um uh, uh, the um, you know Hezbollah, yes, has its um, militant arm and is is designated a terrorist organization here in the United States, um, in Europe, and in other parts of the world. But in Lebanon, it's also a political party and it's also um, Shia based. The um, the Future Movement or the Future Political Party is Sunni Muslim led, and so on and so forth. So those are just examples. Um, of how basically Lebanon um, or the Lebanese political, you know, system, quote unquote, um, has been working um, up until now. And um, I think what you have seen, you know, um, on TV or read in the newspapers lately is just people's frustration with this sectarian system that has been led by the same people, by the same ruling class, for decades and unfortunately um, it has led to the de- deterioration of public institutions um, of you know of governance um, you know when you when you talk Lebanon, Le- Le- Lebanese government uh, the words um, accountability and transparency are certainly not part of the same sentence um, and and that's why people are so angry I mean this explosion, um Beyond just the death toll and the and the and the number of injuries it's it's um um it's resulted with so far um really represents sort of the epitome of the governments and the particularly the ruling class the ruling classes' you know negligence and just lack of um interest in in the people's interests um versus uh, uh in, in the people's interests first, right? so so I think this is where we are today um, with with Lebanon. Uh, people are very frustrated, people are angry. Um, this is going to um, impact the economy even more at a time when the country has already been um, uh, experiencing um, hardships. Uh, last October, protests broke out. Um, by uh, the majority of the Lebanese people, they basically, for the first time in a long time, I think, threw out their sectarian and political identities and were united in their anger and frustration at, again, the ruling elite and the government and their incompetence um, and the lack of you know, proper public services. I mean, just to give you a sense of how bad the situation is, particularly economically. Um, and of course, it's, it's a matter of well-being and survival, right? When we're talking about the economy, it's not just about the numbers. But the numbers say a lot as well. So, for example, the Lebanese currency, is the, the Lebanese lira, it's, been, it's basically lost 80% of its value since wow. last fall, so since September, October, which is very significant. So for example, to put, a, to put that in perspective, if your salary was 750,000 um, Lebanese liras, then it's about $500 at the time. Um, now, this is uh, worth about $75. So what hmm. can you possibly buy with that? Very little. Um, and of course, the country's experienced um, rising inflation, uh, Lebanon is one of the, um, w- one of the countries with the, uh, with the highest, um, uh, debt to GDP ratio at about 170% of GDP. That's, you know, basically at the same level as, as, as Venezuela, you know, most recently the Lebanese have been experiencing electricity, um, cuts, very frequent blackouts, many households and businesses usually operate on generators of, 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 um, you know, for electricity, um, hospitals have suffered tremendously, particularly during COVID-19 because they had to keep things running. So this has been piling up for many, many years. And then this explosion took place, um, August 4th, um, and really, you know, um, Sort of sealed the deal for for the the Lebanese state to be seen and felt by the people and by observers as truly a failed state. I mean the fact that so far from what we know, um, this was an accident um, due to negligence of the government for leaving twenty seven hundred tons um, of ammonium nitrate at the at the Beirut port. Next to wheat silos and next to other storage areas where medical equipment and medicine and pharmaceuticals are stored, it's just absolutely insane to fathom, right? It's it's um, so that that is why you know the I've seen so many slogans on social media. You know, the day after um, the the explosion, the Lebanese were writing and expressing that today we're mourning. But tomorrow we are angry, and we 're going to get to work
0: so i get before before we get I want to kind of understand the dynamics of the coronavirus impact because that of course can have an impact on protests, of course you know because we see that in hong kong right we've had protests for a year, and now uh, the government cracks down on gatherings uh and we, and we see that you know even in the United States. People have to make the decision. How am I going to participate in a protest safely? So how is the coronavirus uh, affecting Lebanon? And is that part of the calculation for people uh, when they're thinking about this massive cleanup operation and for any protests that move forward?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So, so pre the explosion um, Lebanon, you know, actually took some strict measures in closing borders much early, earlier on than many, um, many countries worldwide. Um, you know, closed schools, banned big public gatherings, um, including religious gatherings. And that did help um, sort of keep the numbers low um, because, you know, their public health system is also... Um, in really bad shape, and does not have the capacity to handle large numbers of of um, of cases, so I think um, knowing that they they took those measures so th- so the numbers were not really as high as as here in the United States with um, you know maybe close to fifteen hundred i haven 't seen the latest figures, but it, we can we can check on that. Um, so the explosion certainly changed people's calculus completely. Now those who are, um, you know, going to um, volunteer um, on the on the ground, um, sweeping, cleaning, um, helping the elderly, the 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 wounded, etc., all of those are wearing masks. I mean, like with the majority of photos mm-hmm. that I've seen and the footage that I've seen um, uh, from Beirut, um, uh, the vast majority of people are wearing masks. Um, The protests are a different story because even if you're wearing a mask it's just you're you're amongst you know very large group of people uh but but um but again i think their anger and their frustration with um the ruling elite um with with the government and the way that they have been governed for so long trumps their fear um of getting infected uh because for them this is a matter of you know life and death of their society of their well-being and of their country and that's how they see it it's it's very very intense um yeah. this, explosion yeah. this explosion happened right at the beirut port as you know which is their main port um where more about 80 percent of their imports come through um, so this is a significant um uh, sort of there's significant damage to to the to the lebanese economy and on also to sort of just basic um, humanitarian operations coming in so um, so that 's where they 're at I think I think their anger and frustration trumps their their fear of of getting infected with covid nineteen
0: as someone who watches this from this side of the Atlantic Ocean uh, and considering that Lebanon really is not often something that is popping up in the foreign policy conversation. You know, our audience, a lot of policymakers, a lot of congressional staffers in our audience, what can you tell them to help them understand what can the United States do about this? And really, particularly, what should the United States be watching for as Lebanon works through this?
1: Well, I mean, the U.S. government um, has been at the forefront of, of um, many uh, countries worldwide to provide humanitarian assistance. Um, and, um, and I know that this is much appreciated by the Lebanese people. It's also much needed. I think President um, Michel Aoun of Lebanon estimated the damage at 15 billion. So that's what's needed to rebuild. Um, so obviously, all the support that Lebanon can get from its allies and friends worldwide um, is is not just a matter of being, you know, appreciated. It's absolutely much needed at this point. Um, you know, you're right, Lebanon is not featured as frequently um, in foreign policy conversations. I think it does pop up when um, Hezbollah is... Um, uh, is a major player um in political developments and and that's for i think reasons that most of us understand uh, particularly those who follow middle east um middle east news um, or foreign policy news in general um, and um uh, I, I, I mean otherwise um, very little is known about Le- lebanon's um you know ethnic diversity, um, Lebanon's uh, society um, and culture, um, as well as um, what's happening with the economy. I think the economic news sort of um, took, uh, uh, got more attention um, last year when protests erupted and they were very serious protests. And as I mentioned, unprecedented in uniting the people beyond their sects and their identities. Um, and so I think moving forward beyond, beyond just um, supporting Lebanon uh, with humanitarian and, uh, and other developmental aid to rebuild, I think what's important for U.S. policymakers and others who are interested in the region to understand is that there is, this is perhaps an opportunity for real change um, in Lebanon not just a change of you know figures but really a tectonic shift in the way the political system is set up where um the government represents the the people um and the the will of the people the needs of the people um, a government of technocrats with experience and expertise rather than partisan politicians and um, in order to start the rebuilding process and, and to start to rebuild trust with the people, because the gap has been deepening for decades. And this explosion, just as I said, just like sealed, sealed the deal. It was, it was the last nail in the coffin, right?
0: So with this, so, uh, this frustration that you see, does that, uh, and, and the fact that this has been building and all that you've described, do you think that there'll be another civil war or do you think that this can happen peacefully?
1: I mean, the hope is that this will happen peacefully. I mean, the, the protests, I think, will continue. Um, the protests' needs are not, you know, they're, they're not out of the ordinary. Um, they're, you know, they're asking for a transitional emergency government to address the economic needs of the people, which are the most immediate need, needs. They're asking to change the electoral law in order to, to move away from the sectarian system that has led Lebanon to where it is today. Um, and then, of course, elect a new parliament and a new president. Uh, they want to, to address the corruption that has eaten up public institutions and um, weakened uh, public services over the years. And they also want to hold those who have been um, in positions of power accountable.
0: Well, I appreciate that you're you know of course we want peace, and that's that is of course the 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 best way to do it i you know as I'm thinking about this, you know you're thinking about ruling elites for decades, as you were describing uh sometimes they don't go quietly right, and that's i guess the the question uh you know whether or not we're going to see more violence in an area that's already suffered a lot, and that's a uh, um i think something that I guess. The world will be watching, and I'm—I I, just—I like being able to to indicate these kinds of things to policymakers on things that they need to watch for on the horizon. Uh,
1: look, I mean, protests have have been um, peaceful uh, so far, but there have been, of course, clashes with the security forces. Um, most recently, I think as recent as yesterday or two days ago, um, the Lebanese Parliament also approved the state of emergency that had been declared by the government, extending um, sweeping powers to the army. Hmm. That is, of course, disconcerting to many protesters and many human rights and um, human rights groups um, in Lebanon and worldwide, because they see this as a threat to their freedom to protest. Um, So yeah, tensions are very high. Some of these protests might get uh, violent Again, the hope is that they will remain remain, um, um, you know, relatively uh, peaceful. Um, I think the the other challenge, Erin, which you know, has I haven't seen it being addressed. I mean, the protesters um, are united in their in their frustration and anger and in their calls for um, real change in in Lebanon, um, and that's a positive. However, we also do not know who the leadership is emerging from these from these protests so it 's largely grassroots um, it 's somewhat structureless, so this will also take time for it to to take shape, um, but they have been loud and clear um, about what they need and what they want um, and so let 's hope that with um, with you know um, international support uh, uh, to to Lebanon and to the government, that we'll be able to to see um, some of these changes being made um, in a peaceful manner to avoid further clashes. Uh, but I, I do anticipate seeing more protests, and given now the emergency law um, and the the powers that the army. Um, has in in the next period, um, I I expect you know some violent clashes. We just hope that it doesn't spiral out of control, and that it it is contained because there are more immediate needs that have to be addressed.
0: Right, right. Well, we're going to keep an eye on it, and we'll have you back as this develops. And uh, really appreciate you joining us, first time on the Need to Know podcast, Marissa Kerma of the Middle East program at the Wilson Center thank you so much for joining us
1: thank you so much Aaron for having me